0: Welcome to Never Again is Now, a podcast about anti-Semitism. Today we will discuss an anti-Semitic incident that happened to a tenured college professor. I'm Evelyn Marcus, and in addition to being a psychologist, I am featured in the documentary about anti-Semitism, Never Again is Now. I am a daughter of Holocaust survivors and in 2006, I emigrated to the United States because of the rising anti Semitism in Europe.
1: I am Phyllis zimbler Miller. I'm the founder of the free nonfiction Holocaust theater project, Thin Edge of the Wedge. I grew up in the small Midwestern town of Elgin outside Chicago. It was not a Holocaust community. Our parents and grandparents had come to America at the turn of the 20th century to escape the Tsar and other programs, except in 1970, only 25 years after the end of World War II and the Holocaust, my U.S. Army officer husband and I were stationed in Munich, Germany, and this changed their lives forever.
0: Our guest today is Daniel Pollock Peltzner. He was previously a tenured professor of English at the Private Portland, Oregon Linfield University, affiliated with American Baptist churches. He's now a visiting scholar at Portland State University and for 10 years has been the scholar in residence for the Portland Shakespeare Project. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on. We're thrilled to have you on the show.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Yes, we could say that we wish we weren't having this interview because the incidents didn't happen. But since they did happen, we want to talk about it with our audience. So can you tell us about the anti-Semitic remarks made by Linfield University's President Miles K. Davis? Also, when these were made and in what context these were made?
2: Sure. So they they started off in just a kind of Ordinary interaction. So i had been an English professor for uh, uh, about a decade at this uh, small school just outside of Portland. And we had a new president coming in, President Davis, and I, I wanted to welcome him to the university and learn about ways that I might support his vision and and get to collaborate with him and so i had scheduled a meeting uh, with him early on in his time at linfield and um, he was very solicitous to get to know faculty as well and asked what i was teaching and i was doing a shakespeare class um, that term which we talked about in one of our early meetings and i mentioned um my experience teaching shakespeare's play merchant of venice uh, as a jewish professor and my shifting relationship with the play, one grandparent who thought it should never be performed, another grandparent who took me to see it for my first Shakespeare show, and and shifting notions of anti-Semitism that we explore in the play, and uh, the president said to me he he was he was eager to contribute what he knew about this topic, and told me that he knew that if you measured the size of an average Jewish nose and compared it to the size of the average Arab nose that you couldn't tell the difference between them. And I remember thinking at the time, like, I think I think he's sharing this out of a, a good faith desire to be part of this conversation. But honestly, I didn't think that anybody talked about measuring the size of Jewish noses after about, 1945 or so. And I was very surprised that the person who was now going to be in charge of the university thought that that was a kind of reasonable path of inquiry, but I wanted to get along with him. I didn't want to make the conversation awkward. So I think I just sort of smiled and filed it away in the back of my, um, in the back of my head. Um, then those were, those were in the, in the positive early days of our relationship. Um, then, a, about a year later, I guess um, I I had been at Linfield for a while, as you as you mentioned, I had been tenured. I'd been um, I, I was very fortunate to be given an endowed chair in Shakespeare studies to to do my work. And there was a position at Linfield University um, on the board of trustees that was a position for a faculty member to have a two year term on the board to try to improve communication and relations between the faculty and the people who were charged with governing the institution. And, um, and, uh, against, against my will and better judgment, I was nominated to this post. I declined it a few times, but they couldn't find anybody else to do it. So I, I was elected to be the faculty trustee. And, um, after my very first meeting on the board, which was in November, 2019, um, uh, colleagues, other professors started coming to me to say that they and their students had been um, sexually harassed by senior members of the board, um, uh, uh, also including the president. They were sharing these allegations of sexual harassment with me, and they asked if in my capacity as a trustee on the board, I could advocate for better training for uh, trustees about what appropriate ways to engage with faculty and students would be and what inappropriate ways would be and guidelines for, for proper conduct. And uh, naively, as I said, of course, I couldn't imagine that anybody wouldn't want to have better training and better guidelines in place. And uh, and I, I, I think I must have gone through 10 emails or so with the president Uh, of the university and the chair of the board requesting that we get these in place um, before our next meeting, because then it came out that there actually had been other reports of sexual harassment by other members of the the board. so and it and it turned out there were allegations of misconduct at the previous three meetings of the board, all of which included um, social events with trustees and faculty and and students, oh,
0: okay. um,
2: some of which involving alcohol, some of which off campus. Um, that were, also had a good intention to try to improve communication, but at least students and faculty felt that improper behavior was occurring there. So um, I thought, in in good conscience, I can't continue to advertise these events and encourage students and colleagues to attend them if there's not some better policies and training put in place. Um, and, and, and we, we hadn't reached progress on that when the invitation came out for a next round of, um, a board of trustee event with, uh, faculty were asked to host, uh, dinners for trustees with alcohol at their homes on Valentine's day actually was the day when it was occurring in 2020. And so at that point, I, I, um, I wrote to the board and said, I, I'd love to be able to support these events and I want to be able to have good communications, but I've said multiple times, we really need to address these concerns from past events. And until we get some training and some guidelines in place, I can't, um, I, 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 don't, I don't feel like I can in good conscience encourage people to attend, but leave it up to other people's discretion. So the chair of the board at that point called me into his office. He was a partner at a big law firm in Portland and um accused me of having a secret agenda. He said, I wasn't really concerned about the issues that I was representing. He said, I had a secret agenda to grab power and that I was trying to put um, kids at risk and the real threat were faculty preying on students, not the trustees. Uh, and that surprised me as well. Um, I I, I thought it was so odd that somebody would see this request that I, I thought was just intuitive through this this kind of lens. And the chair said other weird things that... He wasn't gonna ask the, 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 the trustees to become Puritans and he wasn't gonna put on a hair shirt just because my friends didn't like being touched. And I, it was a very weird meeting, but I tried to focus on getting these policies in place, but it still wasn't happening. And so um, so I wrote my report to the board, which was the faculty trustees job before each meeting, describing what had been told to me by colleagues and students and why I really thought it was important to address it promptly and, and intentionally. And the president um, at that point called me into his office. This is now February 2020, and said that I would be destroying Linfield if I sent out this report, um, which I also thought was a strong thing to say. I thought I was trying to, I thought I was trying to help the school be stronger and trying to do my duty for the university. And as, as it happened, at the same time, there were also. Um, instances of racist graffiti on campus in the student dorms. There was um, anti-black hate speech involving the N-word. It was my understanding as it was reported to me, and also swastikas that were present on whiteboards. And along with some other faculty, I wrote a letter um, saying that we really, students felt that those events hadn't been taken seriously and they were coming to my office saying, how come nobody's talking about this? Why why aren't they being addressed? So um, I, I authored a letter with other colleagues saying, we really take these issues seriously, uh, along with the reports of sexual uh, harassment. Uh, we, we would like there to be better training. We would like to participate in it. We'd like to have this addressed. Um, and on the day that the, pre- the president told me that I'd be destroying feel a if I issued this report, he came to a faculty meeting and said he didn't understand why um, people like me, who'd written this letter, were so concerned about uh, this graffiti on campus. And um, Professor is a, a Black man. I he has lived experience that's far different from my own so i i i defer to him on on how he was processing the anti black hate speech but i thought it was odd that he would that he would say that a jewish professor shouldn't be Concerned about the presence of swastikas on campus, or, or Im- imply that in his remarks, but I'm still sort of filing this all all away. And then we, and then that weekend was the official meeting of the board of trustees, and the pr- the president gave his remarks to the full board. And usually, the president's remarks are on the order of the football team has won this number of games, we've raised this amount of money for the science building, um, but on this occasion, I I I, I did go ahead and. I send my report as written to the board the the president had withheld, withheld it from the faculty withheld it from the board and then issued a, issued it with his rebuttal and the president gave got up in front of the entire board and gave his entire remarks to saying that he was a student of history and he knew that great empires of old had been destroyed by internal disloyalty and dissent from within and that the Mongol Empire had been brought down by internal disunion and the Ottoman Empire had been brought down by this internal discord. And now Linfield was being threatened by the same thing, unless we all, he said the the climax of his speech was, unless we all followed the teachings of Jesus Christ in the the New Testament, in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I think too, at the time, I just thought, well, this is such an odd Odd, odd use of the speech, odd way of viewing history. People in on the board, I think, were kind of nodding along because the, the board, sort of unlike the rest of the school, was still, um, had a real tone that was set by by very lovely Baptist ministers who would begin meetings with prayers. And so the idea that we would all be better off following um, the gospel according to Matthew was, was not a radical thing to say. But as I thought about it more, and as I described what what I had experienced to other friends who who had you know, studied Jewish history and professors of Jewish history, helped me to see this kind of this what it, what had become at that point a pattern of um of of not taking concerns about uh, you know anti-Semitic remarks seriously and then conversely seeing a, a lone visible Jewish member of the board who was raising concerns as engaging in a kind of secret power grab and threatening to bring down the university because of a lack of loyalty and a secret agenda. Um, and that's when I decided I needed to do something about it.
0: Right. Whoa, <clears throat> That's quite a, a remarkable story you're telling us here, Daniel. And that was the president who made the remarks about the the empire's going down because of internal disloyalty which is often um, uh, something that um an allegation towards Jews that they have dual loyalty um what was this um the president of the board or the president of the university
2: uh those remarks about these historical instances of destruction from within was the president of the university and the remarks about me having a secret agenda to grab power were the, the chair of the board. And then I get, I later learned from other colleagues at Linfield that the president of the university in discussing hiring and firing procedures, uh, according to them had said that had made a, a kind of offhanded remark about how he liked to, um, fire people, uh, and he said, "You don't give Jews soap on the way to the showers." Um, and that, so that's not a remark I witnessed personally, but that's a remark that uh, other colleagues witnessed and reported. And the president later said was a kind of truism that he had heard in his training and was um, uh, passing along.
0: That is unbelievable. I don't. I don't even understand it. But okay, let's. Well, see. yeah, it's it's on the on the. It's give you don't give. Jews soap on their way to the guest chambers. That's what he said.
1: I know. Right. And the words. I go, okay, let's. Yeah. So, yeah, I so... think it had
2: to do with sort of not sugarcoating people's termination.
1: Right.
0: So as the university pres- president is a member of a minority group himself, did this factor into your decision of what you decided to do?
2: Uh, Well, absolutely. Something that was on my mind. And I think the president was put in an extremely difficult position by the board. So the president of, of any university that's governed by a board serves at the pleasure of the board. Um, board had hired the president in a very difficult time. The president um, was a, a lone African-American leader at Linfield University in a state that has a history of Racial exclusion and systemic racism. He was a, a faith-based leader at a university whose um, whose sort of academic environment was largely secular. Um, he was from a military background in a an environment that had few military people presence. He was coming from um, from uh, Virginia, I believe, to the uh, to the Pacific Northwest. So there were lots of ways in which um, uh, the president was coming from culture and lived experience that were different than the majority culture at Linfield. And I think there was, as, as a result, a lot of empathy for his position, desire to, to reach out and to be welcoming and to recognize that, um, that, that we would need to adjust to him. Couldn't expect him to kind of assimilate to Linfield dorms, but the board made him their spokesperson for uh, a history of allegations of sexual misconduct that predated his tenure. And, um, and I think put him in a very difficult position, and then, I, I mean, I I also came to think like this is this is kind of how systemic racism works. There were there were four different members of the board who had been accused of behaving inappropriately by students and by faculty over the last several years. Two were two were older white men two were African-American men, including the president. And as far as I know, the board only had investigations done of the two African-American men and not the the two um, uh, uh, older white men. And so I, I do think, although I don't agree with the way that the president behaved, I do think he was a kind of victim of an old boys network as as others of us were.
1: Well, I, was the chair, I'm just curious, was the chair who called you into his law office, was he one of the two older white men?
2: Uh, he was an older white man. He was he he had not been accused of sexual okay, that's um, harassment, do. but his, okay. his two of his good friends were.
1: Okay, so, so let's move. Can we yeah. move on to what happened next? You went public. So, how did that decision happen, and what did you do?
2: Well, I didn't go public uh, at first. I spent about a year trying to have these issues addressed internally. Um, I f- I first went to. I mean, my, my understanding of what you were supposed to do if you had concerns about religious uh, harassment was to go to the director of HR and the Title IX officer as well as the chair of the board. So I did that. I I do, I remember thinking like, oh, guess I guess I know how this is going to go when I talked to the, our HR director and described what I had been told to her. And she was a very, very nice lady. And she said to me, uh, she she listened very patiently. And then she said, Daniel, I just want you to know I don't think Jews have a secret agenda to grab power at all because I have a neighbor who's Jewish and is the nicest person and I don't think they would try to grab power. And I I thought, wow, this is here's this is a well-intentioned person but who evidently thinks the question of whether or not Jews have a secret agenda to grab power is a live enough one that she needs to summon an anecdotal experience to uh, disprove it. So I wasn't optimistic. there was an investigation done internally. The president denied making all the comments that I've related to you. As to, and then the chair of the board was not investigated following this pattern of not investigating the senior white members of the board. Um, the president has since admitted making the remarks that I've heard and the chairman of the board has since admitted making the remarks that I've heard. But, um, but the board used the sort of inconclusiveness of the investigation as evidence that there was no wrongdoing and uh, substantiated the allegations that one case, a colleague of mine had made about being harassed, but said it didn't violate any Linfield policies. For her to be um, grabbed on the the thigh and and back and propositioned by a senior member of the board who wanted her to go off campus with him and hang out when her um, her own tenure case was about to be voted on by him. Um, so I wouldn't. So the results of the internal investigations were not satisfying and the board also declined to investigate a student's complaint about uh, a senior trustee who went up to her squeezed her told her she was beautiful and and uh, winked at her um, but this was sort of simmering in the in the background but then the board decided um, did two things it's it it uh, censored my report and and prevented the board from discussing it or for me from discussing it with the board and then it announced it was going to get rid of the the um, faculty trustee position and and a student the the previous student trustee had also reported sexual harassment by members of the board and the board announced it was going to get rid of the student trustee position as well. Um, and Uh, At the same time, the news came out from a student more broadly about this, uh, these prior instances of harassment and that actually the chair of the board had known that there were previous allegations against another senior trustee, but it kept him on the board had promised to keep this other trustee away from students and alcohol and hadn't. Um, So there were big student protests. The faculty took a vote of no confidence in the chair of the board and the board um, decided it was going to disregard that faculty vote. Students wrote. Dozens and dozens of letters to the chair of the board and the president expressing their concern and their lack of faith in this leadership. The board ignored them um, and there was a lot of effort to try to keep lines of communication open to try to to keep those um, trustee positions just so that the board would would be in communication with somebody who had the, you know, the experience of being on the ground. And then it was when I finally learned, um, this was in the spring of 2021, I guess, I finally learned that the board had moved ahead to get rid of the faculty trustee position. Then I felt I, I've been trying for a year to to make these changes happen internally. Um, not only are they not happening, but the board is making the decision to cut off communication on these issues with the faculty that I felt I had exhausted the, the internal options for change and that I needed to share them publicly just to have a record established of what had happened, uh, at Linfield.
1: And so what did you do?
2: Uh, I posted a Twitter thread at the end of March, 2021, um, uh, describing what I had experienced directly. Um, and I didn't, I didn't share anything, you know, confidential, only things that I had experienced firsthand and that, uh, people had told me directly and had been reported in the papers. And, um, And I, and I hoped, I mean, I basically felt at that point, like we, we tried internally to ask the board to do the right thing to when they didn't on their own to pressure them to do so. And they just made it clear they weren't going to be accountable to anybody else at Linfield except for themselves. And so I hoped that somebody else is sort of like tossing a, you know, a message in a bottle and throwing it out in the hopes that somebody else would find it. And, uh, and people did. And so I heard uh, almost immediately from the Anti-Defamation League that was very concerned about what was happening. Um, I heard from uh, Oregon legislate, legislators, the Oregon State Assembly, who were very concerned, wanted to know what they could do to help uh, community members as well. And um, the Oregon Board of Rabbis uh, reached out and they um, both, uh, both the Oregon, well, I believe what happened first the Anti-Defamation League wrote a letter of, concern. And then the president responded publicly to them saying that I was conducting a smear campaign to try to bring down Linfield. And my memory is the ADL responded then by calling for the president and the chair of the board's resignation. And um, the Oregon Board of Rabbis also called for the president and the chair of the board's resignation. A member of the board responded to the Oregon Board of Rabbis by saying that I was a Pathological liar who was trying to use my Jewish affiliation to advance my own agenda, um, and I remember saying to the board at that point, like, didn't haven't haven't we learned something about accusing Jews of having secret agendas to advance their power? But there was no traction. Um, the faculty passed another vote of no confidence in the chair of the board and president of the university, calling for their resignation, and the board um, disregarded that. Sorry, my. <laughs> this recap is causing my puppy to uh, bark in solidarity in the background, and um, and then and then I kept I kept at each phase thinking, well, surely the world's just going to recognize, like people of conscience looking at this situation, think it's intolerable, but yeah. um, but it actually only escalated from there.
1: And and so you were fired at what point, right?
2: Yeah, I was. I got. I mean as these as these these letters and pressure were coming in I I got a notice from the provost saying that I was being summoned to a meeting the next day to discuss my employment with the head of HR and I didn't I didn't know what that meant I hadn't received any 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 concerns ever with my performance as a faculty member I'd had Many performance reviews, which should not raise any concern. The school give me awards for my teaching and my scholarship. And in fact, I thought that I was, I I mean, I, I felt like I had a lot of privilege at the institution being uh, a person with tenure and with a chair and a, you know, an, a, a, a white man who who tended to be listened to by virtue of my position. So I thought it was sort of incumbent upon me to to speak out on these issues also because I was a trustee and I had my duty to. So I felt like I was fairly protected in doing so. But I was being summoned to this meeting for my employment. I asked if I needed a lawyer. Um, They said, the provost said she couldn't tell me what it was about.
1: Tell us when this was.
2: This was at the end of April in 2021. It was a Monday evening. Um, And I said, well, if you can't tell me whether I need a lawyer, then I think I probably do need a lawyer. I don't have one, so could we hold off a day or two until I could get one? and she told me then the meeting was was not gonna take place. And I remember on this Tuesday afternoon, I was on a Zoom call. I decided I'm gonna keep doing my job. It was the pandemic, so we were working remotely a lot. I was on a Zoom call with the head of the Oregon Shakespeare Festivals. I was writing an article for um, The Atlantic about race in American theater. And it's um, so on my work-issued laptop in my, in my uh, dining room. And all of a sudden the Zoom shut down. And I thought, oh, no, the internet's gone out at my house. Um, and then my laptop shut down, too. And it restarted, and I tried to log in. And it said, you don't have access to your laptop. And I all I could, all, all I was thinking at the time was, oh, no, this head of the, of the Oregon Shakespeare Festival must think I've hung up on her. I've got to find a way to reconnect with her. And um, I tried logging, so I couldn't log in. And so I tried just emailing my work account from my email account, and I got an auto reply back saying, Daniel Pollock Pelsner is no longer an employee of Benfield University. Um, And that's how I knew then that I had been fired.
0: This is a terrible series of events. I'm, I'm very sorry that's always happened to you, Daniel.
2: Thank you, Evelyn. And it was, I mean, it was, I guess the other surprise, besides the fact that I thought I had some institutional security, was that it was a really clear and established process for how you terminate uh, tenured faculty members and you can do it if they have or if they're not doing their professional duties um, but it has to be for cause and it has to be cause related to job performance you're not teaching well you're not doing your professional work and you have to have a hearing and you have to present evidence and you have to give the person a chance to reply and um, Linfield just ignored all that and pulled the plug
1: and and they didn't give you cause right I mean after the fact I mean there was a lawsuit I'm kind of skipping ahead did they ever give you cause
2: uh yes they uh, well they 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 said that the reason was that they felt that i was making untrue statements and that i was harming the university and that i was violating uh attorney client privilege in my public statements
1: but you won the lawsuit eventually right
2: yeah so we sued them for for wrongful termination you're not not allowed under Oregon law to terminate people for making good faith complaints about workplace security. And um, Linfield countersued me, claimed yet again that I was destroying the university, that I was using my vast media network to try to bring down the school and advance my own agenda. Um, but after the, uh, after the American Association of University Professors, which is the, the professional organization in my field investigated uh, and, and, found that Linfield had totally violated its own policies and standards of behavior and officially censured Linfield and put it on its list of uh, censured institutions. Then Linfield said they wanted to discuss settling the case. And ultimately they agreed to the terms that we had set,
1: but the president is still there. Is that correct?
2: That's my understanding. Yeah.
1: What about the chair, the person who was chair of the trustees at the time?
2: He's resigned as chair, uh, but he's still on the board.
1: And what can we learn from this? I mean, we I have to say, you have our admiration, I'm sure I can speak for Evelyn that you spoke up. I mean, I'm like almost emotional about this. I am sure that many people wouldn't, in your position, especially Jews. And and you know, we live in this world in which we know that we can always be attacked for being Jewish, even if it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. So we really admire, and in retrospect, how can you help others? Was there something you should have done sooner? Not should have, but I mean, give us your lessons as we come to a, uh, near the end of the show. What can we learn going forward?
2: Well, I I guess I have kind of two takeaways. One is that that power and oppression, I f- I feel like I learned belatedly, operate in, I guess, what we now call intersectional ways. So I I have I I had approached these issues thinking that this was about gender and harassment and I was completely surprised that suddenly my religion was and my ethnicity were an issue in this work and I was I probably shouldn't have been but I but I was also surprised that race played an issue in how these things were playing out too and and I would I sort of hope I hope going forward that we can think about ways in which Jews are uh, are in allyship and should be in allyship with people who are experiencing oppression along lots of different axes, and can be can can try to work in solidarity to challenge people who are abusing their power. And the other thing for me, I feel like I learned is even though even though you know the president is still there, um, he serves the pleasure of the board. The board has made it clear that that's that their priorities are not addressing these issues in the way that I thought they should. But that when I did speak up, there were thousands of people around the country and around the world who spoke up with me, including Linfield students and alumni and including organizations like the like the ADL and the Oregon Board of Rabbis and um, the American Association of University Professors and colleagues who, who signed letters of support and sent letters of support around the world. So I think it can feel at least i felt very isolated individually when i'm the lone faculty member on the board saying hey we got a problem and and these other people are looking at me like i'm telling them that aliens have landed on the campus and then i'm going crazy but that um but that speaking up publicly was a way to garner i uh, i i think draw more attention to the issue and and the the provost is no longer there the dean of faculty is no longer there the dean of students is no longer there the head of hr i believe is resigning the chairman of the board has changed so institutional change happens slowly but but i do, but i do hope at least that 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 outpouring of support um was was you know played some role and i hope also let students know that when when they raise concerns even if the people in direct positions of power weren't responding the way that they wanted that there were people elsewhere who would advocate for them and that these are values that are worth standing up for whether or not they reach immediate change at Linfield that we can continue to advocate for in other places of, of study and work as well. And I was very fortunate in my own case that Portland State University actually stepped in and said, we believe in what you did and we would like to have you here, not despite of your speech, but because of it. And that a donor uh, uh, who had been down my chair at Linfield wanted to continue supporting my work as well and that um I so I, I I feel like I've come away feeling very very supported and very actually affirmed in these values in the broader community even if if not at Linfield in particular
0: well that's great to hear um so you got support from the Jewish wider Jewish community locally you got and not only locally also ADL uh you got support from certain colleagues of yours Mm -hmm. uh, who were not probably not members of the Jewish community that's great to hear but you said something else you said I missed the I thought we were speaking up these days in an intersectional alliance Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. Um, and that was not the case if if I understand you well oh you didn't get that automatic support from other minority groups. Is that correct as a
2: Jew? No, if, if that's what I communicated, then I feel like I've misspoken. I certainly okay. have. I've certainly got lots of support from from colleagues of color, from from women who are doing okay. advocacy work around gender, too. No, I, I did absolutely feel that. I, and okay. I thought that was an important um, aspect of how I came to understand the situation at Linfield, that when there's. Know power consolidated in a few older white men's hands. That that's bad for lots of different people, <laughs> and that in speaking up, I had I had lots of allies, and that I mean, I I suppose this is this is for me another lesson is that I I was sort of thrust into this position, and doing a lot of catch up work. There are so many colleagues around the world who have been doing advocacy work like this around sexual harassment, around anti semitism, around academic freedom, for. Long before I was born, and so I've been grateful to learn from colleagues at the at the ACLU, at institutions of academic freedom, of anti-oppression um, uh, organizations, and support from my rabbis in town and and friends elsewhere. So I feel like there there are there are lots of people from from many backgrounds who are, who are absolutely thinking about these issues intersectionally, from whom I've been grateful to learn and from whom I I feel like I can draw on in the future.
0: That's great to hear
1: yeah so as we end this in a minute or so, we're going to give you last thoughts. but i I do hope that our listeners will take encouragement from what you did and be encouraged in their own I hate to use the word battles, but in their own battles. So do you have any like last couple of words before we thank you and end the program?
2: You know, i'm looking I'm looking right now just above my computer screen at a poster that um that's that students and colleagues made for me uh and the the, you know those keep calm and carry on posters that that, there have been lots of riffs on from the from the British experience in World War II. And when the provost um, announced my termination, the email was called an extraordinary step that they They recognized it was an unusual thing to do. And students took that phrase back and they made this poster that says, keep calm and take extraordinary steps. And the extraordinary steps they wanted to take were about you know being an upstander. And it's and, the, and I'm just looking at this poster and it's filled with signatures and messages from students who do not seem cowed at all by the administration, even when an administration like... Hosed down student chalk messages and threatened to fine students for putting up uh, putting up their messages and like not allowing posters to be put up and taking down posters. Like none of that actually ended up deterring students who wanted to speak out. That that students recognized that they had strength in solidarity and in numbers and in social media savvy. And so that that really gives me hope moving forward is that uh, our students and our my children's generation knows what values they want to be advocating for. And even if it takes the rest of us a little bit longer to catch up with them, that they're going to continue showing the way forward for us.
1: Thank you. Thank you. That is just such an inspiring conclusion. Really, I'm going to try not to cry. (laughs) So, Thank you for coming on the show and sharing with us. Thank you, our listeners. For those of you who have not yet seen Evelyn being an upstander in her documentary, Never Again is Now. You can see it on um, YouTube and Amazon. You can read uh, nonfiction accounts of survivors and saviors in my play, thinedgethewedge.com. And as we end every podcast, we say, please, without putting yourself in physical harm, speak up against anti-Semitism and all hate.